morning again, everybody. Really good that you're still awake. No, really good to see you and gra- glad that um, I can continue in this uh, part of 1 Samuel for us. Uh, I wanted just to start just by asking you um, whether you've got anyone in your life uh, who's a good friend and someone who you'd say is really a, a wise friend, someone who um, tells you things that you may not like to hear at the time, but then you kind of know that they're probably true. And then afterwards, you're like, that was definitely true. I'm glad that person told me that. Um, I don't know, have you got anyone like that in your life that you, you, that you trust in that way? Um, for, for lots of people, well, at least perhaps earlier in life, maybe that kind of person was a, a parent, um, particularly when we're very young. Parents are pretty much the wisest people we know, I think. And they tell us things that are good for us, um, but things that we might not always listen to, but then things that often we go, I probably should have listened to that. Do you know that dynamic? Do you have people in your life like that? God in the Bible is described as a father. And I think one of, those, one of the things that that means is that he uh, tells us things with great wisdom and they're good things for us, but they're challenging to listen to. He tells us things in the Bible. He says, listen, he invites us to listen. He says, you know, depend on Jesus rather than anything else in your life. That's actually, that, that's difficult, but it's good. He says, love your neighbor even when it costs you. That's, that's difficult as well. He says, find your identity in me, not in anything else. That's also difficult. They're hard things, but they're good things because God is very wise and he's very good. And so then not listening to God, right? If you don't listen to God, it's probably similar with your friend. If you don't listen to your friend, it's bad for two reasons. It's a bad idea because first, It means you're not doing what is ultimately the best for you to do anyway. If someone's telling you to do things and they know what's good for you, then listening is in your best interests. That's the first reason it's a bad idea. The second reason it's a bad idea is because it's fracturing the most important relationship in the world, right? And I'll take this kind of parent analogy a little further. It's like if you're a little kid and your dad is telling you not to run out onto the road. Now, I don't know if where this idea came from in my mind during the week um, but it's like you're a little kid and your dad tells you not to run out on the road and he, he says don't don't run out on the road because there's cars there it's really bad and then you start to run out on the road and your dad's saying listen to me don't run on the road don't run on the road it's bad right because it's actually harmful for you to run on the road it's dangerous out there and it's also bad because it breaks the trust that your dad had with you you know you, you it's it's bad because you have broken down this relationship that was, that was there. I think our relationship with God is like that. And that's partly what this story is about. But the crazy thing about God is that even when we make bad decisions that are bad for us and disrespecting to Him and break our relationship, even when we do that, God uses them for good, right? It's not the end. He doesn't brush over what we do He doesn't let them define the future either. This is the amazing thing about God. He incorporates them into a good future. God uses people's bad choices for good outcomes. This is is an amazing thing. So I think, I hope as we think about this, it'll lead us to praise God as we appreciate the intricacy of how he works things out, even when we don't listen. And I hope that it'll also lead us to want to listen to him more Uh, to obey him with hope. So that's what we're looking at uh, this morning. Uh, We pick up 
uh, this story uh, partway through uh, the 1 Samuel story in our passage today. Uh, And let me tell you previously what happened in 1 Samuel, um, in case you've you've not been here or have forgotten. Uh, This, by the way, is where we're going today. But previously in 1 Samuel, uh, the character Samuel, for whom the book is named, he's like the kind of leader of Israel, but he's getting old, his sons aren't doing a very good job, and the people ask for a king like the other nations. Uh, And God says, well, actually, this is a rejection of me as king, because I chose Samuel, and uh, God says, even though that's the case, okay. And so we're introduced to Saul. He's a man described as a, uh, a head and shoulders above anyone else in Israel. It's kind of like a, a Fabio character, if that means anything to you. He's like very impressive on the outside. Looks like king material, uh, basically. But as we meet him, he actually doesn't seem to be a gifted leader. He's on this important errand to find donkeys very, very strange. And his servant in that whole story seems to know more about what's going on than he does. But as Saul wanders after these donkeys, he, uh, we find that actually God is leading him on this journey to Samuel. Uh, and so Samuel anoints Saul as the next leader of Israel. And then he sends him off um, to look for these three signs to encourage him and then to do two things. Um, so Saul has a chance here to listen to God through Samuel. So Uh, this is where our passage begins today and we're actually going to move over the first part of the passage pretty quickly this morning um, about the signs and the things to do. Uh, Saul, um, we see at the start of our passage, he's equipped for the role that God has called him to. It says God changed his heart and then he's encouraged by these signs that Samuel has said are going to happen. They all happen and so that's encouraging to Saul that this is, uh, he's on the right track. Um, including this strange one where he joins this merry band of prophets and he acts in a way that no one is expecting Saul to act. But then we see that uh, Saul doesn't take the opportunity to listen to what God has said to do through Samuel. Samuel had said to him in the previous part of the passage that we looked at last week, after these signs, do whatever your hand finds to do and then wait for me in Gilgal. But Saul does neither of those two things. So we get a hint that Saul is not listening at this point. There's plenty more to think about in that little section um, as you read for yourself or in your small groups. But let's focus in on the second scene here as we pick up the story in verse 17. Verse 17, Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought Israel up out of Egypt and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, no, appoint a king over us. So God says, requesting a king is rejecting him. Just think about how that logic works. Think about what these people might have been looking for in a king, right? These people, uh, the Israelites, they're probably feeling pretty insecure, uh, uncertain, fearful. Samuel, the leader at this time, he's been doing a decent job, but he is getting old. And and these sons that he has, they're not doing uh, very well at all. They're not good replacements. They're, They're corrupt, And so you're you're there, you're an Israelite person, there's a threat of neighbouring people who want to come and attack you and kill you and take your land. Uh, You 
you want certainty at that point, right? A king would give you someone tangibly who's in charge. You want to know who your next leader will be. But here, God calls it for what it actually is. What he's saying is, actually, this is a measured decision to say, God, we don't trust you to look after us. Actually, we would feel more secure and we would think we would have a better chance of surviving and thriving in this world if we don't have to depend on you. If we've got something that's right there in front of us that we can control. Now, I find this approach from the Israelites fairly relatable, right? A desire for certainty, a desire for kind of control, a sense of security, a desire for something that can save you from your calamities and disasters. You know, we want tangible security, something we can see, something we can work at. I wonder what, uh, what you would say you kind of uh, put your trust in or are liable to put your trust in uh, to avoid disaster and calamity in your life. How do you set up your life? Some people accumulate wealth to sort of insulate themselves against every possibility. We get more than we need, even though God promises to provide our daily bread, right? Or perhaps this is another approach. It's in good um, friendships or relationships. Um, That's what makes you feel secure. So that's what we kind of nurture and put our time and effort into. Or another strategy is to just go and like do more and more stuff. Uh, to kind of frantically do whatever we can to get the most out of life, um, to, to kind of uh, not leave anything to chance. I think having a king for these Israelites is about finding security. And as we sort of think about this theme of kingship over this series, we'll have a chance, I guess, to come back to it again and again. This is a really fruitful area of reflection for us. Uh, you may not Um, this morning have made a decision to be a Christian yet but what do you not want God to be king over in your life or if you are a Christian what right at the moment is kind of an area the area of your life where you don't want God to be king where you sort of would rather find security through your own efforts the people haven't listened to God Saul hasn't listened as we saw briefly so that really sets it up for what comes next in this passage Um, As we get to the next scene, scene three, Samuel continues. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, no, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. Okay, so Samuel asks the people to line up before him. I've just heard this kind of, you know, what they've done wrong. And now it seems what's going to come next. Maybe this is the consequence. It's like the judge has said, looked at the evidence, said guilty, and now here's the sentencing, right? Now, to see the significance, I think, of what's happening here, we have to look kind of at the larger biblical story and actually go back to something very similar that happened uh, back when the people were first entering the land a couple of generations ago in Joshua chapter 7. Now, you can read that later, but I'll just summarise for you. Um, Basically, what happened is while the people were coming into the promised land, a guy called Achan... He coveted and then stole some treasure and hid it in his tent and no one else knew about it. And so when the Israelite army went out to battle, the next time they got heavily defeated. No one knew why. They thought God was with them. But God said, well, it's because someone has stolen and hidden um, some things. 
And so at that point, this process took place. The Israelites uh, all got gathered together and they presented themselves tribe by tribe. And then a tribe was chosen and then a clan was chosen and then a family was chosen and narrowed in all the way down to this guy, Achan. And Achan is found out. They go and find the stuff in his tent that he'd stolen. And then, and then it's everything uh, associated with Achan and Achan himself. They face God's judgment. And this is a grisly end to the story. But the, the rest of the Israelites stone Achan and he, and he, he dies. And uh, it's a really quite troubling end. But it's a reminder of how seriously God takes sin. And then you come back to our story. And I suspect that these people, as they're gathered here, tribe by tribe, they're not, they're not, they're not sure, they're not expecting a king to be chosen. They're not, that's probably not what they're thinking is the, the highest probability. Now, Tamar showed us before kind of what's happening from, from kind of God's angle, because we'll get to that part. That's what, that's what happens. But I don't think the people were thinking 100%, oh, this is definitely when the, the next king gets chosen. I think they've got Achan's story in the back of their head, and they're thinking, we're in trouble. Because rejecting God as, as king for those Israelites, not listening to him, it is deserving of judgment, right? For us, rejecting God as king of our lives, the one who made us, the one who saves us, who wants good for us and glory for himself, rejecting him, not listening to him, is worthy of judgment. So can you imagine being there on that day? You've come there, maybe you not one of, you're not one of the vocal ones saying, we want a king, but you kind of think, oh, king's a pretty good idea. And you hear what Samuel says and you realise that, that you have rejected God as king, as leader. And this process begins, this one you've heard about before in this old story, tribe by tribe, clan by clan, this examination is taking place. Can you imagine the fear that you'd feel right at that moment? Now, this is not a good comparison in many ways, but if you've been, ever been to the cricket or the big bash, or the football, and you've had dance cam. Has anyone, has anyone seen dance cam? And the cameras zoom around and, and zoom in on one person, and then they try to make you dance. That, that feeling of horror, don't pick me, that's what I'm thinking at that point, don't pick me. That feeling of, of fear is like what's going on here, I think, but, but so much worse. Who's going to be chosen? And so what happens? Let's read it. When Samuel, this is verse 20, we're on to scene four. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. And so as we see Benjamin get taken, then Matri's clan, we can tell the Lord is zeroing in on the young man we've just met, on Saul. He is going to be chosen. Is he going to be like a scapegoat for the people? And you see, finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the baggage. I wonder if Saul himself thought he might be in for it at this point. Is that why he's hiding? Or he might have been uh, perhaps embarrassed about the fact he hadn't listened to God in that previous episode. It's strange behavior for someone who's, uh, who's going to be king. But look at what God says. They ran and brought him out, this is verse 23, and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted along with the king. So 
What's come out of this rejection of God as king? Uh, this rejection, this, the, the people not wanting to listen to him. At the end of that whole selection process, what do we get? A king. What's happening? Is this, is this judgment? Is this God's grace? Here I think we get an insight into the amazing way that God uses real and often wrong choices of people in his overall good plan. He chooses a king for them. He chooses a king. It says, the king, uh, do you see the man uh, the Lord has chosen? And he gives them better than what they ask for. If we have a look at the details of this story, we can see it. He gives them not just a king, but a king. Well, he sets it up so that they can have a king guided by God's word. He turns evil into good. And we've seen God setting this up in the story so far. We've seen him setting it up in how he uh, guides Saul through the words of God, through Samuel the prophet. Before Samuel or Saul knew anything, else, anything about this, this uh, Saul being king. We see it in the last part of this passage. Have a look in verse 25. It says, Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. See, Samuel, God's prophet... He's the one who's explaining what this kingship is going to be like under God. And we see it in action at the end of the passage, verse 25. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah. Hold on, this is the new king. It's Samuel, the prophet, is dismissing all the people, including Saul, the new king, who goes also to his home. God's set up this kind of kingship that is still good for his people, even though it's a bad request. A king who comes under his word. A king whose job it is to listen. He sets it up so it, it can work here. This is the amazing thing God does in this moment. He chooses Saul. It's a moment of grace as God doesn't uh, destroy the people for rejecting him. And he gives them better than what they ask for. And yet, in that same moment, there is even a much deeper grace because as this story continues we find that Saul doesn't ultimately listen to Samuel or to God that he brings much suffering onto his own people but God takes this request for a king flowing from bad motivations and weaves it into his plan this king doesn't work he fails to bring the security and the safety that the people have longed for he fails to listen to God, so do the next kings. And it becomes only too clear that we need God himself as king, as a human king. And then we come to Jesus, and that's exactly what we get. We get God in the flesh, always listening to his father, the perfect king. The king that we, that we need. Uh, a king who, I guess, whose pattern has been set up through this bad request of God's people and Jesus is also the one who deals properly with our rejection of God as king at, at Mizpah in that huge assembly the rejection should have led to more the selection process as we narrow down on Saul it's a strange anti-climax at the end as Paul is as Saul is hiding amongst the baggage but Jesus takes on God's uh, God's punishment 
for rejection on behalf of his people. He's the one who the spotlight fixes upon. He doesn't hide. He's the lightning rod who takes the right anger of God on himself. And with this King Jesus, it gets better. He is not held down by death. He is raised to life, never to die again. As the people here say, long live the King. They're celebrating and they're hoping, I guess, that Paul will, uh, Saul will give them a long reign of security and stability and leadership. But our King, Jesus, he never dies. Can you see that? He truly lives long. He's always able to save, always able to keep us secure. And so as we look at the detail in this story, I think we can see the amazing way in which God works out bad for the good of his people. He starts out by inviting us to listen and to trust him. That's what's good for us anyway. That's what he did with Saul as he equipped and encouraged him. That's what he did with his people as he invited them to trust him as king. But we're allowed not to listen and that's what we often do. And yet even that doesn't thwart him. He uses our silly decisions, our sinful decisions, stupid decisions in his good plan. And he invites us to listen again, to keep trusting him. And I think this really helps us when it's difficult to listen to what God is saying to us. When he asks us to do things that seem really difficult, like even just to spend time with him regularly, um, and it's difficult because of all the other things we've got going on. Even when he asks us to, you know, hold our tongues when the temptation is to take an easy ego boost over someone else. That's, that's hard, but it's good. When he asks us to be generous with our money and time rather than grasp onto it, onto it for our own security, that's hard, but, but that's good because this is the wise God it comes from. When he asks us to love someone that it's really hard for us to love and costly to love, we know that that's good. And it helps us as well when we fail to listen, because we do. I think it gives us hope. Hope that we've never ruined everything. Hope that there is always a second chance. Because we can see how God works things out. We can get another chance to listen again. So this morning, I think we need to praise God for how he turns bad to good. No matter how bad things seem, no matter how bad you seem, God's got it. So trust God, listen and trust him. Seek what, the, what uh, the king commands and obey with hope. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you uh, praise for the way uh, that you're gracious, um, that you're kind to your people, uh, the way that you were in this story and the way that you are to us. And please, Lord, as we reflect on this, help us, help us to listen to you more. Help us to realize that listening to you is the best way to find security. And help us, yeah, just uh, praise uh, what you've done in the Lord Jesus, through whom we know for certain that you are good and that you reign. In his name we pray. Amen.